Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you, there are some handy at the end of the pews. Feel free to uh, pick one up. We'll be uh, walking our way through this uh, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, continuing in a, a series on uh, through this book of the Bible that we've been doing now for uh, uh, several months. And it'll help us to have some uh, sort of background uh, knowledge from just last week, a reminder for some of us that were here, maybe some uh, information background for those who were not able to be with us. We saw last week in chapter 15, this particular struggle with the first king of Israel, King Saul. We saw that there were problems with him almost from the very beginning because he didn't really trust in God. He trusted in himself. And so he was timid and fearful. He was prideful in that way. And we saw in particular the sort of nail in the coffin of his kingship that that came in chapter 15 when he was called to go and sort of eradicate these particular people, the Amalekites and all of the livestock and all of the animals. But he kept back some of it. He kept back some of the good stuff. And we we mentioned how, you know, to to just the general perception, that seems like a good move. Right. It's frugal. You're not wasting all of this stuff. It's the good stuff. It's uh, logical. It makes sense to to keep keep the uh, good stuff, the good animals and livestock. It's even sacrificial. It's even a relig- looks like a religious thing. Right. Because he he allowed the people to sacrifice those animals. But in fact, in that process, he was he was not obeying God. He wasn't following God's commandments. So we're reminded of that huge tendency that we all have to sort of try to placate God, to, to barter with God rather than just to seek to obey him. And when we fail to obey, to acknowledge that we've fallen short. We really struggle to do that. Instead, we want to kind of pay back God. I'll do this churchy thing. I'll do this religious thing. It'll kind of offset the bad stuff that I've done. Uh, the, the scriptures say no. We, we obey God or we come in confession and acknowledgement that we've fallen short. There's no bartering with the holy living God. And so we saw that with Saul. And then we uh, turn as we turn into this passage for this week, see the anointing, the beginning, the establishment of the kingship of somebody whose name is probably familiar to many of us, but that we haven't heard a peep about so far in the scriptures. And that is King David. The anointing of King David and his special role that he is going to play, especially as we see the fulfillment of his reign in the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ over the kingdom of God. I invite you to read along as uh, silently as I read aloud. First Samuel uh, chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'll send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you. I've come to sacrifice and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to come to the sacrifice. When they came, he, Samuel, looked on Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on 
his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? He said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for me, for we will not sit down till he comes here. He sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had a beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day. Forward, And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, behold, now an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who's skillful in playing the lyre. And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play, play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing and a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. David came to Saul and entered into his service. Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service. He's found favor in my sight. And whenever the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Let's pray again. Oh, Father, we pray now for uh, this time of understanding and dwelling upon your word that you would teach us good things, things we need to hear, things that would minister to us from your word. And we pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. Well, our passage today centers around the actions of God orchestrated through Samuel to identify the next king of God's people. And I have to say, we hear nothing but commendation in the scriptures for David's father, Jesse. But it's almost a bit comical, especially on this Mother's Day, to consider the scene and how Jesse handles this call to assemble his sons. You know, when my wife, uh, Patience, is out of town or or off with some friends for an extended evening, uh, I have to confess I I make no claims to have any grander goal than to keep our four boys alive until she gets back. Right. You're with me there, dads. It's not we're not proud of that. It's just the truth. I'm not interested in feeding them, you know, naturally, organically grown food. So they nurtured perfectly. I just don't want their limbs to fall off. I'm I'm not interested in, in really having the house perfectly immaculate clean. I try to keep it neat and tidy, but I just don't want them to burn down the house. Right. 
So we're trying to trying to do what we can so we can sort of picture uh, Jesse's situation here. Uh, trying to, to line his sons up before Samuel, and especially in our house where you got four little ones, you can't always keep track of them all the time. And he's probably figuring, hey, seven out of eight. I had seven out of eight there. That's a, that's a passing grade. That works okay. I, I've got seven out of eight of them there. It's almost comical. But, of course, even in this, we have right off the bat a picture of God's graciousness, of God's sovereign grace in particular, of calling whom he will call and not paying attention to the appearance or qualities that we gauge people by, but just working in his gracious and his sovereign way. We can see this particularly in the working of God that he'll raise up David, the, the working of God in raising ultimately up the work of Jesus, the fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom, and then the working of God to bless us. Through Jesus, the fulfillment of that Davidic kingdom. So we're going to follow that trajectory and see what God has to teach us today. If you want to follow along in your worship guide, you can. There's a section of notes at the end. And the the main idea we can take, I think, from this passage for today is that since God raises up his anointed one, we can receive the blessing of his chosen king. We can receive the blessings of his chosen king. And we know through the rest of scriptures that the chosen king, the king of David, the fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ. And it's just a reminder for us right off the bat today that as even as God is raising up David, we're seeing a picturing, a foreshadowing of how God will raise up Jesus Christ and bring tremendous blessing upon us, even as he brought blessing to the people of God in the Old Testament through David, that that our, our sin might be covered, that we would be cleansed, that we would have through Jesus one that we can follow who faithfully loves us and cares for all of our deepest needs. We're given that picture as right off the bat today of this blessed chosen king. Well, let's talk about some of the things in our passage. The first thing we see is the, the sort of purpose of this anointing. It's not something we do every day. Now, we have a little familiar familiarity with it because we just did this baptism. So, you know, that's kind of a churchy thing we think of outside of that. We don't have too many things to compare this idea of anointing was. But it was this idea of putting oil on something to consecrate it, to signify its special presence. In the Old Testament, they would do it with uh, people in places. We see Jacob doing it with a stone that's behind his his head when he has that that dream. We see uh, uh, Moses doing it with a tent of meeting in Exodus 30. You see some of those passages listed. We see other people being anointed. King Solomon in the beginning of first Kings, he's going to be anointed. We already saw it, too, with King Saul. We see not just kings, but priests in Exodus 28, 29 and 30. It talks about Moses anointing Aaron and his sons, the priesthood. And we even see it with a prophet, with the prophet Elijah, Elisha in first Kings 19. The, the picture is, is one that's laid out kind of dramatically in Psalm 133. You don't have to turn there. It's real short, so I'll just read it to you. But it, it's this picture of blessing, right? And we, we kind of get the idea of it when we've done this sacrament, this special moment of baptism, and we know it symbolizes something. So, too, this anointing with oil. And, and we can probably picture, I know these days uh, it's popular in some homes to have these little scented 
oils. Maybe some of you ladies are, are, are doing that and it has a certain aroma to it, right? That, that symbolizes a blessing. It's a fragrant thing as well. And so Psalm 133 is kind of a wild picture when you think about it, but I think you'll get the idea of blessing that's meant to be conveyed. It says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the beard running down on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life evermore. Okay, so that's the picture. If you get it, the, the anointing is not just some you know, random thing that happens. It's meant to convey all of this, that the blessing is going to pour down on David and then uh, by, by the nature of his kingship on the people at that time. And, of course, pointing us forward to Christ and the blessing we receive. We'll say more about that later. It's interesting. It starts out now looking back in first Samuel with me. It starts out with a, a private uh, uh, showing us that this was a private anointing, doesn't it? It's almost like a covert operation. Samuel sent to go do it. He says, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go publicly designate another king when Saul's right around here. So they say, well, here's your here's your covert orders. You know, take this cow with you. Make it look like you're just going up to offer a sacrifice. Gather everybody together and take care of the mission. Okay, so that's the idea here. But it even in that reminds us that uh, that really God's people externally are going to have to affirm this. So right now it's a private thing. You know, people largely outside of the family of David don't know about it. We saw the same thing with King Saul, where he was anointed. And pretty quickly afterwards, there was a public affirmation after he he performed a military victory. So people saw what he did and then publicly affirmed what was privately done. Does that make sense? And it's a reminder for us. That is not just about sort of what we feel the Lord is doing in our lives as we think about even our own calling, the way that God has called us. We know in whatever profession that, that we're in or pursue, whatever calling we pursue, there's there's not only this sense maybe that I can do it. There's also got to be some outside people that affirm that that say, yeah, OK, I, I, I see that gifting. We, we can see you serving in that role. We have the same kind of thing here with David. It's not just about sort of a quiver in his liver. He wants to be king. It's about the anointing and then about him showing the skills to be king and being approved later. So we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But we see that laid out right here. We also see that it's a providential anointing. As you look at at verses six now through 13, David's not even on the the scene when this is uh, begun. And, And even Samuel, who's already seen the peril of Everybody getting so excited about Saul, who was, I guess, like David's oldest brother, was, you know, tall of stature, looked like a mighty warrior. You know, they wanted somebody to look like a leader. And Samuel's already seen the folly of that because Saul has Saul's kingship has kind of fallen flat on his face. And yet even Samuel's kind of drawn into it. Ah, Eliab, this must be the one, the firstborn son of Jesse. And then they go down through the list of all of the sons and come eventually David, David's not even on the scene. He's not even old enough to really even be represented. And it kind of reminds us, too, of what we did today in our baptism with the with the infants in particular. Okay, David's not even in human terms supposed to be in the lineup. He doesn't look like a potential king. He's too, too young, not not, not yet of enough maturity to really be considered for that. 
Just like we look at these little ones and we see promise and potential of what God is going to do in their lives. God, too, recognized that not because of anything great about David, but just out of God's loving kindness. And boy, that reminds us, too, for us in our calling, doesn't it? And our calling to Christ and the work that Jesus has done to draw us to himself, that, it, that it's it's not anything good about us. It's incredibly humbling. And then the relationship with Christ is amazing because it exalts us says that you are a child of God through God's loving kindness and you have the working of the Holy Spirit in your life and all these wonderful things. It exalts us. Usually things in, that in our life that exalt us kind of give us a big head. But the exalting of Christ actually humbles us at the same time, doesn't it? Because it tells us that this is just God's working. It's God's desire to work and move in my life, in your lives, because of his good pleasure. Just as Samuel shows up on the scene and just... Picks David, that's, he's not even there. He's not even there to begin with. So we see a providential anointing displayed, and we can take encouragement from that. It's a powerful anointing as well. Look at verse 13. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed. That's a powerful language that the Holy Spirit came in that way forcefully upon him. Reminds us, there that God is is on the move and for David it would equip him to lead and to be the king that God of God's people he wasn't perfect we know he had a number of flaws but the Holy Spirit was on him and even when he sinned with Bathsheba many of us are familiar with that story Psalm 51 one of the key things he prays Lord is take not your Holy Spirit from me he knew that was so crucial and don't we see it playing out too? not only in King David was the spirit upon him, but we're told in the book of Joel, one of the prophets closer to the time of Christ, that in the New Testament, the spirit was going to be poured out upon all of us. It wasn't just going to be a special movement of the Holy Spirit for kings and priests and prophets like it often was in the Old Testament, but that it'd be poured out on all of us. All of us would have this enabling power. And we're told in the book of Acts at Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit comes on the people in chapter two, they're given special ability to speak and proclaim the things of God. It's a reminder for us today in those places where we would be timid and fearful, especially after we've just read about Saul and how he trusted in himself instead of in the spirits working. David's going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the things that God has called him to. And you and I can as well. We don't have to be timid and fearful because the Holy Spirit is with us for his purposes. So it's a powerful anointing. It's also a preparatory anointing. This is kind of interesting. This section, verse 14 through 23. First thing we see is that David's kind of a Renaissance man. You know, anybody that tells you there's sort of this narrow model in Scripture of how a man should be and what qualities he should have. You know, somebody maybe would say, well, you know, you've got to be sort of sensitive. You've got to have a sensitive side. You've got to be poetic. You've got to be musical. You've got to be in touch with who you are. That's really what a, a man is. Somebody, someone else might say, no, you've got to be a warrior. You've got to be able to fight. Another person might say, well, it's your presence. It's how you carry yourself. You've got to be able to stand up in front of people and have, have confidence and so forth. David, all this stuff is going on with him, right? It's not one simple thing. He's pursuing all of these things. And it's interesting, in particular, as we think about him being called to go and kind of work for King Saul. He's already been anointed to be king, but David's going to be very patient on God's timing to raise him up into that role. And so Saul's going to continue to be king for a while. He's going to even be, as we'll see in weeks to come, trying to kill David at points. At this point, he's he's happy with David. And boy, it's a, it is a reminder here, too, as we saw 
this providential working of God that God sovereignly raises up. At the same time, we see that David, in a sense, was prepared. Now, I don't know. It doesn't tell us anywhere exactly how he was prepared. How did he become a sort of man of valor? How did he have this uh, uh, posture and presence uh, about him of a, of a leader, we might say? How did he develop these musical skills? And we know he wrote many of the Psalms, so we could call him a poet. Where did all that come from? I don't know. I don't think we get a whole lot of detail, but surely some of that had to come from his family. I think especially on this Mother's Day, it's a point to kind of pause and realize, okay, God was going to call and raise up David for his purposes. And God, you know, shows his treasure in jars of clay to show that the all surpassing power is from him. So it's not ultimately about us. At the same time, someone must have poured into David and invested in him to enable him to be this kind of person uh, and that could be used in this particular way. And it's just a reminder of how a beautiful a thing it is, mothers who are here today. When when you all, I know so many of you do, and it's not always easy, but when you, you take seriously that call to pray for your children, to really pray that God would work and build godliness in that child. Mothers, how beautiful it is when you invest a time in regular spiritual conversations with your little ones or reading the scripture or whatever that sort of age appropriate thing would be. It's a beautiful thing to, to show your child uh, mothers and fathers, of course, but mothers today on this Mother's Day to show them your your own brokenness, your own need, your own need of God's grace and not be afraid to be transparent that way. Mothers, to, to be a, a more conscious, uh, to get those little ones uh, here to Sunday school and preteen even than you might be to get them to their special activities after school or their uh, sports club or other events or even their regular schooling. To, to, to say we want to put our child in the way of God's grace. That's a beautiful thing when you all do that. And I trust, I hope you do as well, that God is working to build Those kind of things, those kind of characteristics in their lives and develop them. That's a good thing. This brings us to our last point, and that is that uh, David's process of anointing, Saul's and Samuel's anointing of him is a prophetic anointing. Do you know what the word in Hebrew is for anointing? I, I didn't know it until I looked it up. Mashiach. Mashiach. Sounds like something else, doesn't it? Messiah. And of course, as we know and look at the verbiage that Christ, the word Christ is just anointed one. It's a Greek form of that Hebrew word that means anointed one. Isn't that a beautiful, doesn't that bring the full scope of this scripture together for us? Because we said that it's not only a a picture of what we can see happening in David and not only what we can learn from him and what his impact was on the people of God at the time, but that like all these stories and accounts in the Old Testament, they point forward to Christ. This passage, perhaps, as we close, does that more than any other one. It's interesting. There's two events in the New Testament that I think correlate to what's happening with David and take place in the life of Jesus. One is his baptism signifying or something. You know, again, you think, why did Jesus? We know why we all have to be baptized and what it represents for us. Why did Jesus have to do that? He said it was to fulfill all all obedience to do that. And John the Baptist, when Jesus came and and was baptized, John the Baptist said, here's one whose uh, sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And it tells us that the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. It was a special moment recognizing him as king. 
It was a unique working of God. So we see the purpose of God in Jesus's anointing, you might say that way. We uh, see that it was providential, it was orchestrated by the triune God. You know, Jesus didn't like work his way up into it. It was planned before all time that Jesus would come. So we see that baptism of Jesus and this idea of anointing in the work of Christ. And then and then we see this other event that's interesting. There's, there's not a whole lot of events that are listed in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Right. There's there's the death of Christ and his resurrection and so forth. And there's a few other things. But in general, they they tell some different things in each one of them. That's how we get the scope and breadth of who Jesus was and what he did. But one that's told in all four of them. And there may be referring to two different events when you look at the details. But is this picture? And I want you to just kind of close with me on this picture, because perhaps you're familiar with it, of a woman that comes and at one place that she said that she had a sinful reputation in the town. One of the other Gospels doesn't say anything about that. But she comes and you remember she brought this jar, this jar of really special, expensive oil, just like Samuel was bringing this horn with this special oil. She brought this jar and some of the disciples even got on to her for doing what she did because the stuff was so valuable. They said, why would you waste this in this way? Why would you spend something like this in this way? And do you remember what that woman did? She didn't just put it on Jesus and anoint him in that way. She she took her hair. You know, ladies, you all look lovely today. You you spent some time this morning probably decorating and adorning your hair and styling it and maybe have it taken care of during the week and keep it nice and clean and so forth. And this picture is amazing, especially on this Mother's Day. Of this woman taking that oil and rubbing her hair in it. And rubbing it on the feet of Jesus. On his dirty feet that had been walking through the, the uh, muck and mire of that area. And they, this beautiful act of worship and praise. Recognizing that Jesus is that true fulfillment of the anointed one for us. That he would come and be our ultimate king. He'd lay down our life for us like the Old Testament kings were called to do for his people. And he'd show us that tremendous love. What a place for us to close on this Mother's Day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that um, your anointing is a fulfilling picture of all that we see here in 1 Samuel with David. That it was the good will, the providential anointing of your uh, of the triune God to carry out your work, Lord Jesus, that it had purpose, that anointing had intentionality that designated you as a specific type and one who comes to fulfill all the promises before. And Lord, we thank you especially for the way that it was a preparatory anointing that just as the Old Testament kings were anointed and uh, called and then would go fight a battle to demonstrate that they were indeed the king and the people would respond to that. Lord Jesus, we know that in that woman coming to you right before your death and right before your resurrection, there's no mistaking that she comes to anoint you for your great battle that you have accomplished on our behalf, going to the cross, rising again, that we might have life and hope in you. We praise you for that today in Jesus name. Amen.